well, I know many of you won't know this, but uh, if you live where I do, you drive over or have for most of my time here a place called Smith's Bridge, uh, which was closed for a while and became quite a point of drama and trauma to the residents that live around there for quite a while of late. Uh, and last Monday, actually, it, it got opened again, which for those few of us who live there, we're quite thrilled that we can drive over it again. Uh, for those of us who don't, you don't care, but I'm still telling you. So this morning, I got up as I do and uh, started driving over here, and I drove around the freeway. And as I'm on 31, I suddenly realized I forgot the bridge was open. And I was so mad, I almost turned around and went back so I could drive over the bridge. Because I love that bridge. It, it, it just, it hit me. It's only been closed a few months. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can all hear it. She goes, six months. That's someone who lives near that's like, it's been a long time, buddy. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't go five months, 28 days and 12 minutes or something. Uh, that was great. Even though it's only been six months, it's funny how quickly you get into a pattern. That's what I was trying to, and, and how quickly you forget and just go to the way you go without thinking about it. You know that we're all creatures of habit, right? And that's how we tend to live. And especially if we're not aware, we tend to just get into our ruts and go the way we go. And we've established this as a new beginning of a year saying we want to spend 21 days of prayer, not simply to begin our year, though it is part of it, but we believe too, even in doing this, perhaps we can establish new ways that can take root in us and new paths and new ways of living and following and being with Jesus. And so we'll get into more of that as we get into the morning, but I, I wanted us to have a picture of what God wants to do in our lives and maybe even consider what we do without thinking about it that keeps us from what God wants to do if we start planning and doing it differently. With that, uh, as we've been in this series, we offer a prayer guide to you that's out in the lobby. Uh, we have them online. It's allshores.org slash 21. Well, I'll tell you a little more about what's been going on in that as we get into the passage. Uh, in our focus on Sundays has been particularly about a facet, we would say, of prayer or the life of a follower of Jesus related to this idea of there's a battle, there's warfare that goes on in our following Jesus. It's not simply... Uh, an easy life that goes on for us. In fact, we're gonna look at a letter that Paul writes today to the church in Ephesus. Paul is someone, and he's who's gonna speak to us today about this, if you will, about this idea of the war that we're in. And I want you to think about it for a minute with me, with Paul's perspective. Because Paul had grown up with the name Saul in the Jewish culture. He'd become a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. He'd lived according to these rules to the best he could. And life was clean and following in what was good and what was bad and how he was to do it. He then has this unprecedented moment where Jesus mystically meets him and blinds him. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. He believes what he's seeing and suddenly becomes Paul by a new name and begins to tell people, and not just proclaim, but demonstrate the power of Jesus. Where Paul goes, there are miracles, there are wonderful changes that happen in each of these cities. Now, I want you to pause with me for a minute and consider this, because I think we would all say in our 21st century reasonable minds, if we could demonstrate the power of God at will, people would all want to follow him. But we know, even from the ancient world, that is not true. Not only did they not want to follow Jesus, people wanted to take Paul and others out. 
And so as he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, he's now living in the experiences he's had. He understands the power of Jesus. He understands people, but he also understands there's a battle going on. This is something beyond people. Heaven and hell are battling. There is an enemy. And that's what he's going to speak to in this final chapter. Last week, we looked at the idea that there are different kingdoms, that there's a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, that Jesus comes to bring that. And we made a very simple statement that our greatest power and our greatest struggle is on our knees. And last week, we introduced just a simple idea that we live in prayer more deeply. And that's how we entered in. This week, we're going to look at Paul's advice in the midst of battle day in and day out. And he says this at the end of chapter six as he's getting to all that he said to the church at Ephesus, which by the way, it begins with him praying for them. That's how he starts. And after he gives us this battle plan, he then says, I want you to pray for yourselves, for each other, and for me. So he begins and ends the entire letter talking about intervening, speaking to God on the behalf of others. It's just a beautiful bookend. And now he's giving us kind of this final and very important statement. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, if you read something like this, and I tell you to be strong in general and in power, many of us might even think of physical training, things that we do on our own to strengthen ourselves. You might even think of in the marketplace when you become strong at your job, you gain skills and nuances and technical understanding. You have tools that you use, all sorts of things you do to train and to get better at what you do. We all do it in all sorts of arenas. We do it with our kids. We want them to excel, for example, in a sport and we get them training and work that they do, even outside of the game, things they do to prepare for. We do it with their education and what they do in learning. We train all the time, don't we? And so before we look at, and what Paul's going to give us are our tools for spiritual training, if you will, to actually do this, but it starts around this, be strong, but it's these three words that matter. Be strong what? In the Lord. Be strong what? In the Lord. So whatever we talk about today, as we look at the tools Paul gives, as we look at the armor he asks us to wear, everything should finish with in the Lord. And the reason I say that is Paul is not saying be strong in yourself. In fact, he's challenging that because the strength of God is beyond the strength of us. Our greatest strength is less than his greatest weakness. In other words, you can't do this alone. When Paul says be strong in the Lord, it should take us back Those who are familiar with scripture, there's a beautiful story at the end of 1 Samuel. David is king at this time. He's taking different land. He's got his men fighting with him. And after they've had some victory, now they're heading back to be and see their own families. And they come to their own city and it is decimated. And the family's taken away from them. They are so discouraged and disheartened. And the team is so discouraged. Rather than just grieving together, they turn to David and say, let's kill him. He's gone from leader to failure. And David, it says these simple words at the end of the chapter, David strengthened himself in the Lord. I just love that. It's this picture for us that Paul, I think, is going back to. And in case you don't know David's story, David's had a lifetime of discovering what it means to be in the Lord. David spent his early years as an adolescent shepherding out in the fields, dealing with different 
enemies, if you will, of animals, all by himself, forgotten by his family, but it's where he began to cultivate being in the Lord. As David would move into his time of being even anointed as king, he would then spend 25 years where Saul would go after him wanting to kill him, a different Saul. And then David, even in his kingship, would have a son want to betray him continually up and down and up and down. But what we know about David is he loved, he loved meditating on scripture and seeking who God was. He loved what it meant to be in the Lord. In all of his mess, the scripture refers to him as a man after God's own heart. David would pull up his instrument and play for the Lord. He would seek to know the Lord. He would constantly want to be with the Lord. He gives us a picture of being in the Lord. And the reason I want to begin there is while we're going to talk about tools, while we're going to look at this idea of what Paul tells us to do, we don't want to miss at its core, it is dependent on us discovering him, discovering God himself. We can't do it alone and we need to do it in the Lord. I just didn't want us to miss this because the strengthening, and it's not a momentary thing like one time you're strong in him, think of it as building up and growing up. Which, by the way, this should be good news for everybody because think of everything else you do to make your life better. You realize that we're all on a track to death, right? That your, your body is going down, most of you. Some of you, it's still going up, but don't worry, it's coming. You're welcome. Good news. Do you realize the only thing that gets better with age is being in the Lord? It's the only thing that doesn't peak and doesn't have its bad part later. It gets better. I love Paul says, though we're wasting away, yet we're being renewed in him. I just want to give us this picture. This is what he's calling us to, and there's a reason as he's saying this, and it's where he continues. With that, I wanted to give one more picture of this, because what we've been doing and what we're doing in this 21 days is to help you in the Lord. This is a picture of one of our times during this last week. We started the 21 days. We've asked you to pray, to fast during it. We've even given you a, a, a prayer guide. You can get it online at allshores.org slash 21. We have printed ones out in the lobby too. But during noon, between noon and one, from Monday through Thursday, we gather together, anyone who can, for a time of prayer and worship. And this is how the time goes. We, we literally sing for about 10 minutes. We have a very short devotional thought to give you some time to fix your mind and heart on Jesus. And then we give you about 30 minutes in the room just to sit on your own with the prayer guide, if that helps you, or other tools you have, and just seek God for a half hour. We come back together. We do one very guided corporate thing, and then we, we sing together to close out. Now, that sounds simple. I wanted you to get a picture of it because I think some of you can go, prayer service ain't coming. You're going to ask me to do something I'm not comfortable with. But I want you to know it's, it's really profound. And the feedback we're getting is powerful from our own staff, from those who are attending, and those who are just doing it in other settings. Because I want you to know this, when we seek to be with God individually, it's beautiful, but when we seek to be in him together, even if we're not together and alone, but we're all doing it, something happens. Something happens that doesn't just happen on its own. It's like a like fire that gets hotter when we do it together. I've gotten texts and emails from different people who've been affected this way by, by what we've been doing this week. One, one person wrote to me and said, I had the most significant quiet time I've ever had. I'm so grateful. And, I, and they were just on their own, but I think something God's blessing because we're doing collectively. I had another couple of the friends of mine that told me they actually got, downloaded the prayer guide and they spend 10 minutes at night kind of going through just a section and what it's doing to build their oneness in marriage and their life of prayer together and their life in him is powerful. 
So I even want you to be reminded to be strengthening in the Lord. Maybe in these next two weeks, pick one of the days you can come at noon and join us. Pick a bunch of them and come and join us. Download the guide and do it on your own when you can, how you can. But what happens if you begin to just seek God differently right now? What new path might be forged? Not just giving your year to the beginning, though it is. What new way might you begin to drive or take in life that's different than the way you're kind of going by default? A beautiful picture for us of what's happening, and we want to encourage it and celebrate it. Paul now continues. He says, put on the full armor of God. We'll get into the detail of this, but uh, he's going to use this picture. People always use it as a Roman soldier because that's a soldier of the time. But the only weapons Paul will refer to as he goes through this, the only elements of armor are things that are in the Hebraic, in the Jewish Bible. They're always in the Old Testament. So he's giving pictures, and it's just to help us understand what it means for us to add this armor. He says that you can take the stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers. All these three rulers, authorities, and powers are of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. It doesn't mean the physical powers. It's saying there's a spiritual power in the heavenly realms that works in this world. In other words, what it means is there is a devil, there is evil, there are demons. They are organized and strategic, and they really want to bring destruction to our lives. Now, that's a bit of an awakening for us in our modern culture, isn't it? Because we, we kind of, we like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of his forgiveness. We like the teachings of Jesus. But this idea of power and a battle going on we set it aside a lot. I, just, just curious, show of hands. How many of you have people that really annoy you that you either live with or work with? We'll say work with, if not, not so fast, <laughs> that you're ever annoyed at sometimes and they're driving you crazy. You, boy, last service, you had a lot more driving crazy. I guess you're better people than the nine o'clock. They were pretty evil along with me. Have you ever considered that much of what we deal with with each other is actually the whisper of the evil one causing us to have hatred and dissension and struggle. It doesn't mean we don't have problems with each other, but it gets intensified and magnified because there actually is an enemy that's working to destroy our lives. That's what Paul's saying. I want us to get a picture. And he's saying there's a tool, there's armor to be equipped. We're in a battle zone. There is a struggle which I think so much in our contemporary way of thinking of Jesus, practically in our culture, we think Jesus is supposed to make life wonderful and comfortable. And it's just supposed to be a nice little cherry on top of our wonderful Sunday that we get. He'll just even make it better than the good it is. And that is just not true. Life is a battle and it is a struggle. Paul continues. He says it again, then put on the full armor of God. There will be a day of evil that it comes, and when it does, may you be able to stand your ground. You are in training. It won't be there all the time, but when it is, you need to be able to stand, and after you've done everything, you need to stand. He says stand again and again and again, and if you want to just think about it this way, because it helps you get maybe a picture of the holistic view of Paul and the Christian faith. Ephesians begins, and Watchman Nee describes it this way. Paul's first part of Ephesians is just telling us to sit. Sit in the heavenly, sit in the presence of God. And what he's saying is discover what Jesus has done for you 
because it's beyond what you need or ask and it will change and transform your life. It's all you need, it's done. Sit there first. Then this middle of the book talks about walking, how we actually walk out what Jesus has done for us, in us, and through us to bring change in the world. And by the way, many of us live the opposite way. We wanna walk first. If I get enough done, then I can sit. But Paul is telling us you begin life and you begin your Christian life understanding the work is done, what he has for you. Now you walk in it. But he finishes by saying, don't just rest in that it's done. You need to be ready to battle and stand. Because though he's done it for us, we're called to grow up in it. We're called to be changed by it. And that will be a battle. And so guess what? You will have to stand your ground. Just consider it this way. Think of how many things shake Christians today. We, we love Jesus, but something doesn't go well in our life. We're dealing with an unplanned tragedy, a loss of a job. Things don't go the way we should, and we suddenly go, man, that God must not be there for me. He's not that good. And we don't stand, we fall back. Or we get into things that we don't see the results we think we should see for all that we've prayed and done. I can't tell you how many parents I sit with that their kids go on a track they never expected and they thought if they just taught them the right way, they'd go the way they should. Did you know there's not a single guarantee of that? But because they don't know that, they fall back. Think of the ways we get discouraged today and Paul says it again and again, you need to stand. And what he's about to do is give us the tools to train. He's about to help us to become accustomed to the armor. He wants us to understand I've given you, God has given you training, ways to be trained in this thing, to grow up and stand. He wants you to become accustomed to this armor. He wants you to put on day after day and moment after moment. And how did I say you have to remember that? In the Lord. Because everything Paul's gonna say, if you suddenly think I need to walk in this on my own and you don't start with sitting with what he's done, we're in trouble. But we wanna walk through briefly, but kind of to give a picture of what Paul means by this as he says it. Now he's going to give all these different pieces of armor. He starts with standing firm in the belt of truth. Now, as I've grown up in the church, I've been taught many times about the armor and I've known to proclaim them and say them. And often this is the way it goes. We're taught, you just need to get up in the morning and claim it. God, I put the belt of truth around my waist, the gospel of peace on my feet. And we go through all it. We kind of say it mystically. And it's just to say, if we say it, God will do it. It's, it's kind of like a, it's just a proclamation. And so we view the armor as kind of a, a device we put on. And what I want you to consider differently is I think the armor is a tool that we're trained in to grow in. In other words, the strength and the power of it is there, but we have to mature in it to access it, if that makes sense. I'll show you what I mean as we walk through it. So when he says the belt of truth, in the ancient world, you used a belt to gird up your clothing. It kept you from tripping. We understand if there's lies, we trip over them, don't we? That's how we live. Here's what Jesus says about truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He's praying this to the Father. And what he's simply saying is that the way we understand truth, the way we grow in it, it is actually as we're transformed by the scriptures, meaning as we engage in the truth of scripture, we grow in our understanding of it. I don't want you to think of the belt as a static thing. I want you to understand it as girding yourself with truth means you mature in it. Let me show it to you this way. 
in case you don't know, I think many of us, or most of us, or maybe even I could just say in general, the church in America, maybe even around the world, just places where we're not oppressed, but particularly here, we are more informed by the truth of culture and things around us than we are by the scriptures. So, so I'll give you an example. You know that in culture, we're basically told to endorse everyone's way of living and everyone's thoughts about how they live. We even call it your truth. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. And so culture tells us everybody should do what they do and there should be no feedback of how that could be destructive or negative in life. Now you realize that's not true, I hope. But if that's the truth we put on, you realize putting on the belt of truth doesn't help if we don't get that's not true. Are you getting a picture? Let, let me give you another one because it's informing our lives too. The, the political power climate right now is informing us horribly. We're told there are two sides, pick one. One is right and one is wrong. And by the way, we're gonna hate each other if we're not in the side that you're in and we're not gonna relate to each other if you're not in it. Did you know that's not true? And by the way, did you know that power will never win the day in the kingdom of God? Forced power is not how Jesus operates. I didn't know if you knew that, but you should know that. Do you think we fall down if we don't put that truth on? They're just simple little ones. But what I'm saying is, if we don't begin to know the scriptures, we'll trip because we don't even know how to discern what's true and what's not. And we're much more informed by what other people tell us things say than what they actually say. So by the way, when I say in the Lord and I say you have to grow in this and be trained in it, guess what I'm inviting you to do? And you'll find this of every, every piece of armor, you actually have to begin to engage in discovering the truth in the word. You actually have to begin reading the Bible. And I like that there are wonderful devotionals that send you a little verse and you can kind of read it on the, in your car on the way on a stop sign because I know you'd never read it when you're driving or you'd read it while you're watching something or doing something else and maybe you'll, guess what? That's not engaging in the truth at the level of maturity Jesus is calling us to or the level of battle we'll have to deal with. I, I'd love to give you a nice little quick morsel of how you're gonna grow, but guess what? We pursue and we train. You become strong in the Lord. Yes, it is something he does, but when we sit back and go, I don't need to work at it or grow at it, we miss the joy of entering in with what he does. Oh, and by the way, in case you don't know, I, I, I bet many of you have had trainers in different things you've done, maybe coaches or mentors, could be trainers in different things. They, they come and meet with you periodically and help you. Guess how often Jesus is with you in your training? Don't, don't jump all at once. It's all okay. All the time. You know, even when you're sleeping, he's with you? And guess where he deposits his presence? In you. In you. Whoo! Your trainer is in you. And not is he just in you to train you. He's actually in you to change you. He gives you power. Like we know it's already been done. That's why we start with sitting. But man, if we don't grow in this thing in the battle and strengthen up in the very tools he gives us, we sit in immaturity and guess what? We trip. You can pronounce it all you want. I put the belt of truth on me. But if you're not learning what truth is, you're gonna trip. I don't want us to miss. These are beautiful pictures, but they're pictures to be built up and grown in, not static pictures to just pronounce and proclaim. Here's the next one, the breastplate of righteousness. It's such, a, it's such a wonderful image Paul gives because so many of us, we think if I do well enough, that's righteous. It's kind of right living. And what Paul makes so clear to us is righteousness is in Jesus. He says it this way, God who 
God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, this breastplate we wear is not your or my goodness. It's the forgiveness and the holiness of Jesus changing and covering us. In other words, we're protected in all of those most internal organs, those parts that are most significant in us by what he's done, not by what we do. But here's the growth challenge in it. Here's the maturity challenges. I can believe that, and it is true, and I will fail, and I will need to call out to God to help me. But if in my failure it becomes my excuse to not be changed, it becomes a place the enemy can go after. In a sense, it becomes an opening in the armor. We're no longer covered by Jesus' righteousness. We're pretending to be while we keep on sinning on purpose on our own. Those are two very different things. This is a call to maturity. How do we mature? How do we discover the righteousness of Jesus? As we discover who he is in the Lord. How do we discover who he is when we engage in discovering who he is in the word? I just want you to get a picture of this beautiful call to power and maturity that we sit at what he's done, but there's a battle to be won and we need to be trained in the tools. We need to become accustomed to the armor and it will grow in us as we grow in him. I'll keep going. Next, he says, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This one I love so much. The sense that the gospel itself is peace. The, The word for peace in the language of Jesus is shalom. It doesn't simply mean the absence of strife. It means much more the presence of wholeness and well-being and perfect relationship. This is what Paul says about it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, meaning we have shalom with Jesus. And he gives us the same ministry of reconciliation to others, meaning we're to dispense that peace to others. We're to help them discover who he is, but we're still supposed to be that to them, even if they're not to us. So think of how many times this week, or go back to last week, you got annoyed during the week or had a struggle with frustration and anxiety and your peace left you in a relationship and you were ready to say it's their fault. We all do it, don't we? And this is what I believe and continue to discover as a follower of Jesus. Whenever I'm really struggling with someone else, it is more reflective of how little I understand Jesus' forgiveness for me. Because the more I understand it, the more I dispense it, the more I walk in it. When I don't, I can't keep my shoes on. Hey, this is earlier than most of you would even remember. I try to find modern examples, but I figured this is for those of us who are older today. So I want to take you back to 1979. Uh, MSU won the national championship in basketball. I mean, this is not only an old illustration, it's one about a team I don't even like that much. But I lived in the area at the time, and when they won the national championship, uh, you know, everybody was watching everything going on. Well, they had a player named Jamie Huffman on the team, and Jamie, in the middle of the game, his shoe came off, and he kept playing. And that poor schlep, for the rest of his professional career, guess what his nickname was? Shoes Huffman. I still see him, and all I think of, Shoes Huffman. Up oh, there, Shoes Huffman. And all I can picture, for some reason, whenever I read this, is I think often in the church what we do is we say, I put the gospel of peace on, but we start running, and we've left it back here. We left it back here because we didn't really grow in it enough to have it fit our feet. 
And I think Paul, while he's saying there's a battle and while it's a work Jesus finished and he did and while it's in the Lord, until you and I discover it more, we don't know how to walk in it. We can't just proclaim I put the gospel of peace on my feet. We need to pursue discovering how I know that gospel more, how I know the forgiveness of Jesus more, how I learn about his love more. And in the first place we do it is when we open up the scriptures and discover it, but then it pours into our own lives through his spirit as he's training us from the inside out. I want you to get a picture, not of these as a static proclamation, but a growing demonstration and power he gives. He goes on with a shield of faith. He says it will extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. It actually stops the enemy from going after your life the way he tries to in all of us. You know, I think about the lies we get told in our minds and even in the people around us from the enemy. You will never change. You can't change. This is your fault. You are unredeemable. There's no way this will get better. God can't help you in this circumstance. This is beyond him. He doesn't care. Think of all the things you hear inside that are like darts going at you to challenge the things you believe now. Think of when they happen in our circumstances because we believed this lie of the gospel that if we follow Jesus, everything goes well. You choose to follow, you will have a charmed life. That is just not true. And by the way, a charmed life is not true, in case you wondered. Without him, you don't have it either. You just have the illusion of it till something happens. It makes you ask, how do we gain in faith? And this is what Paul says in Romans. Faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. In case you didn't know that scripture again, just, are you getting tired of me? I hope you're getting the idea. Every one of these is gonna grow as you strengthen yourself in the Lord and you become a person of discovering who he is as you read the scriptures. I'll give you some ideas on how we do that too. But let me go, there's one more here that we wanna, or two more here we have to go. The helmet of salvation is the very thought that over who we are, over the very center of our life, which is where our heads are, is salvation. It's what Jesus has done for us. God through salvation and what he's given is transforming our lives. I love this as you think about it because what happens is in our minds we don't believe that we're truly saved, that he could truly love us. And this is how Paul writes it. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed here literally means metamorphosis. It means to be changed into a different way. Paul in another way says that we're changed as we contemplate God's glory. And the word for contemplate literally is like fixed on a mirror. As we contemplate who he is, it changes us. In other words, salvation is something we need to get our minds around, think about, reflect on, discover him. And by the way, where do we first do that? In the word. In the Lord. We're strengthened in these ways. I get so sad over people's confusion. I've sat down with Christians, many people, many times that will tell me what they believe about their faith is if they're good enough. God will take them and want them. They live from walking, not from sitting. And they haven't even really understood the basic of God's love for us, that he actually meets us in our sin and cares for us and dies for us in our sin. He loves us in the darkest place. He doesn't love us to get it fixed. He loves us in it. Now put your mind around that. Come on. 
That's beautiful. When the enemy begins to put thoughts in your head, you're unlovable, you're unredeemable, it will never get better, you'll never change, you'll never be good enough, he'll always love others more. Those are all lies that the helmet of salvation covers as you're transformed. That's the picture Paul gives us, and then he gives us one more. He gives us the sword of the spirit, he says, which is the word of God. And I just wanna simply give us explanation of this because there are two different Greek words for the word uh, and this idea of the word of God. Rima means spoken and logos means written. Now logos would be what we would typically think of, the word of God, meaning you have scripture by you and you say it or you have it and that's the sword. What this means though, Rima, is that it's a revelatory spoken word, but it's rooted in the truth of the written word is what we would say. It doesn't mean you have to have the scripture memorized, but it means the more you know the God of scripture and the God in scripture, these words are both brought to mind and then supernaturally come to mind. So how would you access those if you don't know the scripture? That's the part I want us to get. That's the trouble we have in our faith communities is we've settled for little drops of understanding when we have time. And Paul's thing right back at the beginning was, be strong in the Lord. How do we be strong and access all of these tools? How do we get comfortable and in a place where we really are acculturated to these armor pieces is as we grow in them. Let me just give you a couple of simple ideas as it relates to engaging in scripture. I, I mentioned it last week. I'm doing a study through scripture that's just the Bible in a year. version, if you don't have it, is an app that has tons of Bible studies in it. You can pick a shorter one, you can pick a longer one, but it gives you a daily plan. For those of you that's new, maybe pick just one of the four gospels and go through it. That's an easy way to just start getting into the scripture and beginning to ask God to meet you in it. The prayer guides that we have actually have a whole thing about praying scripture in them. Grab one of those and engage in it. And then I would tell you too, we've used this tool many times, First 15, it's an app that gives you a whole guided quiet time and in it always has rich portions of scripture and even a chapter. Somewhere just start engaging in it and begin to ask God, would you start showing me and letting me put on the belt of truth? Would you start helping me understand the gospel of peace? Would you start showing me the righteousness that you have brought to my life and help me through the places that I struggle with? God, would you start renewing and transforming my mind as I understand your salvation and what it means? God, would you grow my faith as I hear your very word that I would grow in my belief that it actually has the power to stop these lies? God, would you give me the sword of the spirit that you would start giving me a word to understand? And by the way, when you read, there will be things that highlight for you because you need them. I just want you to get a picture. Man, we can't keep messing around and be little baby Christians that hope it goes well. It's nice to sit in what Jesus has done, but the only way we walk and grow in it is and we also learn to stand and mature in it. That's what Paul is both calling and challenging us to. You see, if you and I are gonna stand firm against the enemy, it's a very simple have to. We gotta train with the tools and we gotta get accustomed to the armor. You know, whenever you put on something new, it's always a little awkward, right? It gets more regular for us the more we use it. And it grows stronger and stronger the more we understand it. That's what I love about the tools of Jesus and the armor of God. It's not a static thing that you just proclaim. It's a growing piece of armor that grows as you discover. It's all there, but you don't access it till you get it. 
And I just don't want us to miss it. God has so much more for us than kind of this comfortable, easy life that goes along with him to a life of transformation and power. And we're starting off with 21 days simply to discover that. I wanna pray for us. I wanna remind you that you can grab that tool out in the lobby or online, allshores.org slash 21, the prayer guide. I'd love to have you come to any or all of the four days we have this week from 12 to one here at Spring Lake. You can just join us in having some time alone with God and also some shared time in worship that will be significant for you. You can do this on your own at home. You should be picking days to actually pray in a day to fast somewhere in here as we've encouraged that. And then on the 25th, on that Saturday, the last day of the 21 days from nine to 10, we'll be here. How great it would be if many of us came and said, I'm closing out this time on the new path God is showing me to keep going on it. What a great thing to celebrate that day. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would meet each person where they are today. I do pray that they would become stronger in you. Lord, I pray that you'd grow them up in the ways of you, that you'd grow them up in the life of you, that you'd strengthen them in their inner being in the power of you. God, equip us to stand firm in the battles you have and give us not a static understanding of your armor, but an ongoing growing understanding of the battle you've called us to and the power you've given us and the armor you've given us to live in it. I pray this in your name, amen.